Service is one of the gifts that God gives through his Holy Spirit. And as we head up to Pentecost, it's time for us to really focus in and think about God's work in us and through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. The uh, title is The Attitude of Service. But I want to start off uh, kind of backing up, just sort of defining a few terms. The gift of service. The gift of service. Now, the gifts that God gives us through the Holy Spirit are mentioned in several places in Scripture. Uh, the letters to Ephesians, Corinthians, and Romans each contain a list of gifts. And each listing is different. You've probably noticed that when you go through Scripture. And it, I think, depends on the context in which it's mentioned. Um, such as uh, how the gifts pertain to office in the church, or how the gifts pertain to signs and wonders in the church, or functions within the body of Christ. What we're going to do is we're going to zero in on the, on the list that's found in Romans 12, and that itemizes the various functions within the body of Christ. And from there, we get our subject for today, which is the gift of service. The gift of service. Uh, some of you are already zooming ahead, going to Romans 12. Good idea, because that's where I'm headed. Romans 12. And uh, let's just take a look at that list. Let's read it. It's verses 3 through 8, which say, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, with each member belong, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Well, there's the list. And of course, you probably noticed that to serve was in there. If serving, then serve. Now, the word service is, a, you know, clearly that's an English word, and it's translated from the Greek. And the Greek word is diaconia, diaconia, okay? And when you look at that word, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at it. One thing I noticed, I, I can plug in, I can do a search on the Greek word, and all the scriptures come up on my screen, and I can look at oh, all the places where it's mentioned and how it's mentioned and the context and so forth. Service associated with the word diakoni or diakonos is a wide variety. There can be a wide variety of activity, but when I look through the scriptures that mention it, there seems to me to be a special emphasis on taking care of the needs of others, very often in conjunction with food and drink, various forms of hospitality, and physical accommodations. Okay? Um, other things like uh, taking care of people in sickness, visiting sick, and so forth, that actually comes under the mercy, if you really dig in and look at it. But we're going to stick with diacono. And diaconio, or diacono, is a verb form of the word diakonos. All right, well, I don't want to dig too deeply into the Greek, all right? But 
That's the word that we get deacon from. That's where we get the office deacon, the name for the office deacon. And it's a recognized office in the church. And a person anoint, or appointed and anointed as a deacon is designated as a servant, a servant of the church and provides leadership in the areas of service that previously were mentioned. But God's gift of service is not limited to someone who is ordained, someone who has hands laid on them and is you know, asked to perform a leadership role. No, service is for everybody. Service is for everybody. A deacon provides leadership and an example in that area. But it doesn't mean that all service falls upon that one person. Turn to Ephesians 4. This is actually another one of the lists. And as I was reading through these various lists, this popped out at me. I thought it was very appropriate. Let's take a look at Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. Although this is talking about offices in the church, a little different approach. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What I'm getting out of that, or trying to emphasize out of that, is that the role of church leadership, and this, you know, this is the list that talks about the gifts of the Spirit as opposed to you know, offices in the church. The role of church leadership, teachers, deacons, whatever, is to encourage every member towards act of service, acts of service. And it's in this way that the mind and attitude of Christ work in you. Let's talk about the attitude of service. The attitude of service. The list of gifts that we read in Romans 12 also mentioned generosity. And that, of course, um, is associated with sharing money or personal possessions with others, especially those who need help. I would like us to think of service as being generous with your time and energy. Generosity with your time and energy. And that allows me to take a look at some scriptures related to generosity and tie them together. So go to 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 1. This is a section where Paul is talking to the folks there in Corinth and he's talking to them about um, this fundraising thing they've got going on where they're trying to raise funds to send to Jerusalem where there's a famine. And in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 1, he says, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. This service to the Lord's people. So even though it was a situation where they were gathering funds to send off to Jerusalem, Paul characterizes this as a service, a way in which they were serving. Okay, And he was very pleased at their eagerness to help and so forth. Drop down now to verses 6 through 7. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In the same way, I believe God wants each of us to give generously of our time and our energy as we have decided in our heart, not reluctantly or um, you know, whether kicking and screaming every, every inch of the way or complaining, because God loves service done cheerfully and of our own free will, of our own free will. Now, we're in, we're in Corinthians, so now just drop back to chapter 8, because Paul's kind of on a roll here. Um, chapter 8, verse 12, <clears throat> he says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. What he's getting at there. He says it in a funny way. I'm going to try and untangle it a little bit. What he's saying there is that the attitude is more important to God than the actual amount. If the attitude is right, it doesn't matter how much you've given. It's acceptable to God. And he knows what you have to offer and what you've given and, and so forth. And that should remind you of another um, scripture, uh, Luke 21 verses 1 through 4, where uh, Jesus makes note of that woman who was very poor, but she gave two little pennies to the, uh, to the temple treasury as her offering to God, Luke 21. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury, and he saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I say to you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these folks gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The attitude is very important to God. If you think about it, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your money. What he wants is your heart and your mind. But as you know, things happen in a very physical and a very material world, and this is how things roll. So there is money involved. But God is focusing on the heart. Now, if you go to Matthew 10, verses 40 through 42. Jesus says this to the men that he's sending out um, to evangelize. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person, a righteous person will, sorry, as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you that person will certainly not lose their reward. There's a lot packed in there. There's a lot packed in there. Let me draw out some of it. What's this section of verse telling us? Well, it's telling us that service that we render to others is, in God's eyes, service to him. That's one very important point, which we'll come back to. Second thing that you can get out of that, God is very aware of service. 
Another very important one, which we'll circle around to again, God promises a future reward for service. Now, some nitty-gritty stuff. God is especially focused on the service we perform within the body of Christ. Notice that this is all service to those that he sends forth, his people. Okay, So this is something that's like an intra-church type situation. Okay, I think God's interested in everything, but he's especially focused on what's going on among his people. And the final thing we can draw from this section of scripture, hospitality, even a cup of cold water on a hot day, hospitality among the people of God, providing food, drink, physical accommodation, and so forth, is a prime example of service that God draws out in scripture. Nothing to be scoffed at, nothing to be looked upon as small and insignificant. I have three challenges. For those of you who like points, you can have three points. I have three, what I'm going to call challenges, to maintaining a cheerful attitude when serving. Because I stand before you chief among all sinners, it ain't easy to maintain a cheerful attitude when serving. <clears throat> so let's take a look at some of the challenges. Challenge number one. Challenge number one. Focusing on the physical. Focusing on the physical. God considers service towards our brothers and sisters as service toward him. But very often, you and I only see the other person or group, if, you know, if it's a different situation, who they're serving and begin to doubt that there is actually a real spiritual transaction that's taking place. We might consider the other people um, unworthy. We might consider them unworthy. Why am I serving these ugly, smelly, uncool people? Really, why? Why am I serving them? Why aren't they doing their part? There's another, another thing. Why aren't they doing their part? They're no better than me. Why aren't they serving as much as me? Okay, focusing on the physical. They may be ungrateful. That's another, another situation. They may be ungrateful. May, oh yeah, probably. Yeah, they may take you for granted. Well, no one knows that I'm here in the back room hauling out the trash. Everyone just assumes that I'm going to take care of everything. No one ever even said thanks. Now, you might think that the situation would be better within the church, right? You might think, well, that won't happen in the church. No, I'm not going to have those kind of struggles and, and, and interactions with people that are, you know, cause friction or, you know, are problematic. I mean, we're all playing from the same playbook, aren't we? So, yeah, we're all going to be on the same page. Well, I've been doing this for a long time, not as long as some of you. <laughs> But I have found over the years that serving within the church is actually rather challenging. And this is speculation on my part. I believe it's because expectations are very, very high. 
Also, a lot is taken for granted. And the rewards are way off in the future. To do well serving in the church, you have to have that mental focus that we saw there in the points I brought out of Matthew 10. You need to exert the mental focus and energy to remember that your service is really toward God. And that also that is Christ living and acting within you. And that's where it all begins. And it really, that is the, that is the uh, beginning of success in this area. But if you think serving in the church is easy, you know, you're kidding yourself. And if you think it's inconsequential, you're also kidding yourself. Okay, challenge number two. Challenge number two. Desire for recognition from others. This is a big challenge in serving within the church. <clears throat> God promises us reward for our service. We read that scripture together, didn't we? God promises us reward for our service, big and small. He promises us good stuff. But that reward is not immediate. That's a big, big deal. Because the human mind is wired to focus on immediate results. That's the way you were born. That's the way you're made. To focus on immediate results. And we have this built into us as a means to quickly determine which behaviors are good or bad. You know, hand on stove, bad. Very quickly you learn that. In human life, or family life, um, a good example is that when you're training a very young child, a very young child, the reward has to be given quickly, like right away, or else they're not, they're not going to connect the dots and they're not going to see the relationship. Example, well, you went potty all by yourself. Very, very good. Have a cookie, right? Very quickly. You want to reward the child very quickly so they make this connection very, very quickly. That's just the way we're wired. Working towards rewards that are off in the distance, off in the future, is something that we grow into. And it is a sign of maturity. You do not say when you're training a child, Okay, if you go potty all by yourself, I will buy you a Corvette when you're 18. <laughs> it's a great reward for potty, right? But it's not going to make the connection, is it? Nuh-uh. Because that's not the way we're wired. That's not the way we're wired. Turn to Matthew 6, verses 1 through 5. Remember, we're talking about the second challenge, which is desire for recognition from others. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 5, Jesus says this about what we do, righteous, the acts of the righteous. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. It's natural. It is natural to want praise, to want that immediate feedback. It's just natural. That's the way we're wired. 
But pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. He's saying if you do good to get praise from other people, then that praise that you get from those other people is all the reward that you're going to get. And that's what he said. And what is praise and recognition from other people for righteous acts, for example? I'm not talking about a work situation where there's money and a paycheck and all that, but what is praise and recognition from other people? A pat on the back? Um, a quick compliment? Usually lasts about you know, maybe nine, ten seconds. And then, poof, it's over. And you move on. Next time you meet, it's going to be, so, what have you done lately? Right? You feel good for a short while. You know, that praise is, I like praise. <laughs> but I feel good for a short while, and then it's over. And that reward that comes with praise has come and gone. Right? That's how it works. The reward God promises is better. It's better. Now, is it better because a pat on the back from God is better? You know, because he's just super awesome. You know, and a pat on the back from God is, well, that's worth everything. Uh, no, it's not. The reward from God is better because it has real substance and it's lasting. Real substance and it's lasting. Go to Luke 19. Verses 12 through 19. The parable of the talents or the pounds. We're actually going to look at both of them. Luke 19 verses 12 through 19. Jesus says, A man of noble birth, this is a parable, went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. Of course, he's speaking of himself here. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minus sums of money. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him, and they sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained from it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. And the second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. And his master answered, You take charge of five cities. And then, of course, the last one comes along, and he's done nothing. And God is not happy. Well, the, the king is not happy with that. I don't want to dwell on that one. I want to talk about what we've read in the scriptures that we just looked at. I think you all know the parable. and We've looked at it, you know, over the years we look at it from many different angles. <clears throat> in this version of the parable, each person is given an equal amount, right? Each person gets an equal amount. And some double it. Some get a 50% return on, on the investment. And, of course, some do nothing with what they've been given. Their reward is in proportion to how well they did with what they were given. Okay, so they all started off even, and then there's this, you know, some did really well, some did, no, not bad, and some people did terrible. And their reward was in proportion to what they had done with what they were given. Now, also we found in there that the substance of the reward is a position of authority in the kingdom of God. 
Now, you could say, well, that's just, you know, that's just a parable. Well, I have some scriptures to back that up. And I believe that this substance of the reward makes it better. The reward promised by God is better because it's got substance and it's lasting. Turn to Revelation 20. We're going to take a quick review of a few scriptures uh, on like the pinnacle of reward. I think that there's many, many shades of reward that are out there in God's mind and in his plan. But in Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6, the word says, I saw thrones on which were seated, this is after Christ's return, those who had been given authority to judge. Oh, sorry, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Now, we're in Revelation. Go back to chapter 5, verse 9. So we see that you know, it's not just in that parable that we see this concept. Revelation 5, verse 9 through 10. The song sung to the Lamb. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God people from every tribe and language and you made them to be kings and priests and they will reign on earth. On the same page, at least in my Bible, uh, chapter 3 verse 21 says, to the one who is victorious I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. One more, Ephesians 2, verses 5 through 7. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You have been called by God now disciplined and trained by him so that you might be raised up to serve with him in the coming age of Christ's rule on earth. Now I want to take a look at the parable of the pounds or talents that we find in Matthew. And I think, I think you'll, you'll find there's something very interesting when you compare the two, okay? Matthew 25. Verse 14 through 23. You'll think, this is the same parable. Why is he reading it again? Well, let's do it. Again, this parable. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on as a journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, 
You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man with the two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, of course, the, you know, the last guy is the guy who did nothing. We'll just, we're going to skip over him for now, okay? Because I think you all know the, the parable, and I'll let you, you can think about that on your own. But in this version of the parable, the gifts are not all the same, are they? They're given different gifts, right? Some are given more to work with and some are given less, which frankly, folks, is a lot like life, isn't it? The person given five bags doubles it. They get five more. The person given two bags, they double it. They get two more. And both get the same praise from God, the same reward, right? It's a different way of looking at the same the same concept of God's reward, but brings out some different issues or um, things to think about when, when we think about how God, God rewards. Each one of these guys has done equally well considering what they were given to work with, right? Not everybody in life is given the same gifts or the same opportunities. Some people are born into great opportunity. What God wants to see is, well, what are you going to do with that? Right? That's how God, that's how he rolls. Go to Luke 12. I think if the man with five bags of gold had done nothing, he would have been really in big trouble. <laughs> but anyway, Luke 12, verse 48. Let's take a look at some of the principles that we come out of this, come out with after looking at this parable from a different angle. Luke 12, verse 48. Very, very important concept. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. The principle there is that to, you know, as, as Kennedy said, to whom much is given, much will be required. He's pulling from the Bible there. He, it's one of his famous quotes. And to much who has been given, much will be required. And that's how God sees things. If you've been blessed... He wants to see you do something with it. It isn't just so that you could enjoy it. But he also, he has a lot of regard for someone who wasn't given that opportunity, but who did something with what they were given. The second principle that we get from this version of the parable, if you are faithful in little things, little things that God gives you to do, like, say, acts of service within the church, little, they're not big worth shattering things, but little things. You will be given opportunity. You will be put in charge of many things, as the parable says, when Christ returns in power and glory. So, the person who um, looks down on the little things, well, that's just a bad life choice. Just a bad life choice. Because the little things matter. The third challenge all right, the third challenge to maintaining a cheerful attitude. Seeking recognition by complaining. 
seeking recognition by complaining. We're in Luke. Go back two chapters to Luke 10. Luke 10, and we'll take a look at verses 38 through 42. Mary and Martha, or Martha and Mary. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to come and help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you were worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now Martha appears to be a person blessed with a desire and a talent for service. She opens her home up to people. She goes to the effort of making it nice for them. And you know she's pictured as hospitable and busy, which are good things in the eyes of God. He wants that from you and from me. And Jesus, if you look through, if you do a search on Martha, you'll see Jesus was a frequent guest at her home. And speculation, my guess is, that part of the reason uh, was because she always made it so nice. She was a great hostess and very hospitable. And Jesus loved her. You know, he loved that about her. But like many of the people that, that God really loves, he also uses them as a way to show us some things that we need to think about. And here she's recorded as making uh, some of the classic mistakes of a person who is given to service. Her focus on service generates a great deal of unnecessary busy work. That's basically what Jesus is telling her. Now, how does that happen? Is it even possible? Can there be too much service? I mean, service is a good thing, right? So therefore, uh, the more work we do and serve, the better it is, right? Even to the point of creating new things to do that don't necessarily need to be done. But it's service, so it's good, right? It's, you know, you've probably all seen that happen. The problem is that as you see in this example here, it creates a distraction. It creates a distraction from other spiritual instruction. That's the downside of it. The other thing that Martha's doing here, um, she wants recognition. She wants to be noticed, right? That's what she says. You know, Jesus, don't you even care that I'm doing all this work? I'm back in the scullery. I'm, you know, doing all this stuff. Don't you care? You're not noticing. That's what he's just saying, right? The other thing that she's doing here, <clears throat> and this is one that really can be problematic in the church of God, she wants others to conform to her standards of service. So she's kind of really into serving. She's good at it. 
She even finds ways to serve that don't even need to be done. But she wants other people to conform to her standards of service. She, what does she say to Jesus? She says, command Mary to stop sitting there listening to you talk and teach and tell her to get in the kitchen here with me and, you know, let's do some stuff. You know, we've got cookies to put on plates. We've got stuff that needs to be done, right? I mean, it's what she's doing, isn't it? And that's not good. That's not good. What she's doing is she's seeking recognition by complaining. And um, that has potential to diminish your reward if you do that, as we read in the previous scriptures. If you're doing stuff to, to get reward from other people, a pat on the back, recognition, um, a little gold star next to your name, well, that's your reward. I mean, if praise from other people is what you're after, then as Jesus said, that's your reward. Which do you prefer? Which would you prefer, the reward and praise from other people or the reward and praise that comes from God? Now, there's a caveat I want to throw out there. Praise is okay. Praise is okay. It's good. Right? And that's also something that God wants us to do. He wants us to be thankful, generous, to acknowledge other people, right? Praise is good. So, I mean, if I come along, you're doing something, and I come along and I praise you, I haven't just stolen your reward from you. Okay? That's not how it works. Praise is okay. Praise is good. The point is this. Don't seek out praise and recognition. Don't seek it out. God's word tells you and me to take a lowly position. To take a lowly position and wait to be acknowledged by God in due time. That's the big picture spiritual principle. It also applies in human affairs. We're in Luke. Now let's go to chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. Now when he, that's Jesus, noticed how the guests at this you know, dinner that he was at picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, uh, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowliest, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Notice the setting in this. What is the setting? Food and drink. How often these things come up in the context of food and drink? Food and drink and physical accommodations. Who sits where? Okay? Notice the little things that are being drawn out here into big spiritual principles. Big spiritual principle, God does not like complaining. And again, look, <laughs> I come before you uh, I could confess, I, uh, I complain, and it's 
not something that I'm proud of. Uh, it can become a very bad habit. And, um, you know, a lot of times when I'm doing a message like this, I'll read through my notes and I'll think, whoa. <laughs> you know, and I, I feel like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm worthy to talk about this stuff. But <clears throat> it's God's word, so I'm going to pass it along to you. Um, God doesn't like complaining. Now, the classic example of complaining is what? Israel in the wilderness. That's the classic. So that's what we're going to use, okay? Israel in the wilderness and complaining. So, you know, the story, we've gone actually through it somewhat at the end of the Days of Unleavened Bread. Israel's newly freed and, and redeemed uh, from Egyptian oppression. And so then the people of Israel, now they find themselves out in the desert. And they start looking around. And after a while, they start to get hungry and thirsty. Again, the setting. Food and drink. Food and drink. What shall we do about food and drink? Now, what, what does Israel start doing? Well, they start grumbling, right? They start grumbling. Man, what are we going to drink? What are we going to drink? And God provides them with sweet water to drink. Then they start murmuring. Man, we had all kinds of great food in Egypt. Have you brought us out here to starve Moses? And what did God do? He gave them manna, bread that you know, comes down from the sky. And he had many other points to prove by doing that, but he gave them manna. And then they said, what did they say about the manna? Man, this manna is so boring. <laughs> it's the same every day. Manna, 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 manna. Every day it's manna. Isn't that what they said? That's what they said. Manna, 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 manna. And then they said, and you can read this in Numbers 11. I encourage you to read it. And then they said, we were better off in Egypt. Why don't we just deputize someone and go on back. Now, let's take a look at this. Maybe this is a different perspective for you. In each case, if you think about it, you put yourself in their shoes, in each case, Israel had some legitimate concerns, didn't they? I'm out in the desert. I would be thinking, yeah, okay, where's the water? Right? They had some legitimate concerns. Where's the food? Where's the water? I mean, even the manna, you know. I mean, I don't want to eat the same thing every day to you. I mean, we're, you know, maybe we're just all really spoiled because we live in such wealth and comfort. But I think they had some legitimate concerns, okay? The problem was how they voiced their concerns, how they go about it. And the way they voiced their concerns was not acceptable. There are many ways, you know, I could try and you know, say, well, here's why it wasn't acceptable. Here's why it wasn't acceptable. Came up with a couple. Uh, basically, I think they were saying, I don't like how things are being done around here. I don't like the way you're managing this, Moses. Or, well, this certainly isn't the way I would have done things. Have you ever heard anyone talk about stuff like that? They also were imputing malicious intent upon Moses. 
Now, when you're serving, you don't, all, you don't always serve alone. You often are serving with a group of other people, right? And that usually means that kind of someone is in charge, right? These are the kind of complaints that come up in a situation like that where you're working together. Well, I just don't like the way things are being done. Well, that's not how I would have done it. That's complaining. That's what Israel was doing. I mean, they were doing more than that. Don't, you know, I don't want to limit it. God does not like complaining. But what's interesting is he also often, perhaps more often than not, creates situations where complaining seems perfectly justified. He creates situations where complaining seems like, yeah, this time it's different. Because well, it's me. Go to Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 5. It tells us something about how God operates. Be careful to follow every command that I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but upon every word that comes from the mouth of God. Very important concept to understand about um, your walk with God, your interaction in the church. Um, God purposefully allows life to be hard, or perhaps sometimes even makes life hard. Why? Test, to test you and me, test Israel, and see what's in the heart. And that seems counterintuitive. Well, if God's all-powerful, certainly he would set things up differently. He would set it up so there's not going to be any problems. Right? I mean, if I were all-powerful, that's probably what I would do. But God's goal is not that our, our physical lives run smoothly, uh, with no glitches, no problems. His priority and his goal is not that all our activities have no faults and no flaws. That's not where God's coming from. God is concerned with the training of the heart and the mind. And he purposefully allows circumstances to be less than ideal. That's just how he works. That's how he rolls. Less than ideal, difficult. To humble us, to test our character, and to teach us to set right priorities. To discipline us for maturity. To show us that it is not by our strength, but by his that the work is done. And to trust him. In the course of events, sometimes we lack what seems most important to us. That gets our attention, doesn't it? Sometimes our needs are supplied 
as he mentioned here, with manna, which your fathers have never seen something like that. Sometimes our needs are supplied to us, but they're given to us in a manner that we find unfamiliar. And that's not what I was expecting. It's an answer to my prayer, but, huh, that's not how I would have done this. Anyone ever experienced that? Uh, that's what he said there. It's how he dealt with the manna. You weren't expecting it, you know. Maybe not how you would have preferred. Sometimes we're stressed. and Sometimes we suffer disappointment. God gives us opportunities for service. God allows problems and difficulties. And I put it to you that considering all of these things, Serving, even in the small ways that we're asked to serve, is spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline. Let's close with a couple of scriptures. 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 11. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the st all the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. James 1, verses 2 through 4. One we look at in various, various different ways. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything.